This is Keep It Simple, a weekly discussion of significant issues regarding the Word of God and His people. Our host is Pastor Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, and the Simple Truths Radio Ministries. Good day. Welcome to Keep It Simple, weekly internet talk show of the Simple Truths Radio Network with Pastor Xavier Reese in the ministry of Calvary Chapel in Pasadena, California. Pastor X, we're pleased to be here with you today. Thank you, Tony. We're uh, looking forward to talking about the Day of the Lord. Amen. Great topic. Also with us in the studio today, our production engineer, Jonathan Duran. Good day, everybody. Welcome to episode 119. Amen. Closing in on 120. Almost there. (laughs) Today, as Pastor Xavier said, we are going to spend some time talking about what is a very important issue in understanding biblical prophecy. That is the day of the Lord. And I think maybe a misunderstood topic as well, Pastor Xavier. Yeah, it's so vast. It covers um, not only a very specific time of God, as we'll see, pouring out his wrath upon the world, but encompasses the setting up of the kingdom age also for a thousand years. Amen. Um, so there's a lot of events. It's a, it's a vast time with specific increments, but a lot of events that follow into it. Pastor Xavier, where in the scripture specifically do we find reference to the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord is a common phrase throughout the Old Testament. It's found about 75 times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the major, the minor prophets all have the day of the Lord. Um, you have Isaiah um, speaks about the day of the Lord, Jeremiah. Um, they also speak about the, the Jacob's trouble, which is part of the day of the Lord, Jeremiah 30, verse uh, 7. Um, in the New Testament, you have the time of tribulation, great tribulation. So there's a lot of terms that are used um, for the day of the Lord in terms of the beginning of that being the time of God's wrath, a seven-year period. And, of course, we've talked about it before, the first three and a half years of false peace through the Antichrist. And that happens simultaneously as the church exits in the rapture. So there's a lot of things that take place simultaneously at the beginning but just simply speaking, the day of the Lord, the beginning speaks about the seven year of tribulation, first three and a half years, and then great tribulation, the last three and a half years, with the dividing point of the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, as Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fifteen, as the Antichrist will build the temple for the Jews again, declare himself God, Second Thessalonians two, walk in, and after that point, no one can buy, no one can sell, do anything without the mark of the bees on the right hand or their forehead. Otherwise, they'll have to lose their lives to be headmen or starvation. And yet, as terrible as it may be, Jesus said it would be better to die than to live in those days. And yet, there will be some that will survive. Believers. So, wow. Right. And on the other side, great revival. Many people are going to be saved. Amen. Amen. People, a great many people who've never heard the gospel before yes. that time. Now, I understand from what you, you know, there's the day of the Lord. The topic is very broad, although to the casual observer, it may sound like just one particular day. And that's not the case. Right, right. It's just a a phrase that is used. uh, There's words that are associated in the Old Testament. uh, Day of darkness, day of gloom, day of judgment, day of wrath. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a time when uh, Amos, the prophet, uh, was sent to the northern kingdom. And um, he was a sheep breeder and a fruit picker. 
And uh, they didn't want him there. They kept proclaiming the <laughs> day of the, he deals with the day of the Lord. The book of Joel speaks of the day of the Lord. He's known as the prophet of the day of the Lord, chapter okay. two. Um, but Amos, they told him to leave, and Amos said, "Hey, listen, I'm I, I'm not a prophet. I, I didn't send myself. God sent me. I, I was a sheep breeder or a fruit picker, and um, and and they um, they God was dealing with the northern kingdom. They were idolatrous and." And, and turning their back on God, but God kept pursuing them. They kept rejecting, and so God would do this, and they would not pay attention. He would um, bring drought; they wouldn't pay attention. He he would rain in one area; they go get some water, come back, and one thing after another. And they, after each one of those cases, says, "And you did not repent. You did not repent. You did not repent." Finally, the prophet Amos says, "Prepare to meet your God for the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, the day of consequences." Amen. It's so amazing the way God just uses common people. And even today, I mean, the the most of the work of God's kingdom that goes on in our world is done by common average right. people that nobody would look upon as being special, just like this guy Amos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when Jesus came, he came and spoke to the 12 apostles, Amen. common people. They were fishermen for the most part, many of them. You know, and, and Jesus came to speak to common people. He didn't spend his time with the religious, um, rulers or with the scribes. Um, he they, tried to help them. He tried to help them. He tried to <laughs> open their eyes, but their hardness of heart and their arrogance of pride, um, rejected Jesus because they exalted themselves above the people, above God to an extent. Amen. You know, this, this issue of the day of the Lord is, is pretty complex. It, as you said, you know, it's all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have a lot of different events and uh, specific issues. Is it reasonable to expect that a normal average individual who's devoting themselves to the study of the Scripture, are they going to be able to get a handle on all these different issues and figure out how the Lord is working? Well, we're called to study the Word of God. Amen. And so I, I look at myself as an average person like anybody else, a sinner saved by grace. And I heard the gospel and I repented from my sins. And um, right away I began to um, hang out with Christians. We were all young in our early 20s. Some of them were in their teens, late teens. And uh, we just started reading the Bible. And we started looking where we could get taught. And God directed the majority of us to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, through Pastor Chuck Smith's ministry, through the tape ministry. And uh, and we just listened to the tapes verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so you can get the whole counsel of God. And as you move through it, then you're going to pick up all those things, because the prophets yeah. speak all about it. Right. The, the law speaks about it. Um, the prophets speak about it. The New Testament speaks about it. And um, though they're different phrases and they're interlaced in different ways, it takes time to like, you know, it takes 12 years to graduate from high school. You know, you begin uh, 13 if you include uh, kindergarten and you're really learning the same thing over and over on the same on a different level, higher and higher. And hopefully by the time you get done with the. 12th grade, you can uh, enter society in some way, shape, or form to be productive. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Hey, but it's amazing. You know, as you talk to new believers sometimes and you say, you present them with the idea that if you're a believer in Christ, 
you need to read the whole Bible every year. They look at you like you're crazy. Right. Like right. who can actually do that? But it's not that extreme. No. And if you're out there listening, um, real simple. If you read uh, five chapters a day, um, five days, take two days off if you wanted to. I wouldn't suggest it. But if you did, you can read the Bible in a year. Easily. Now, five chapters is nothing a day. You can read ten chapters a day easy. You can read the Bible twice. But you should go through the Bible at least once a year so that you get God's Word in you and you follow it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, systematically. Um, I I begin at Genesis and I move on through. Um, You can read it different ways. You can go Genesis and then come to a New Testament book, whichever way you want. Um, I want to go through it systematically just the way it's laid out. But um, that's just for my reading. That's just for God to minister to me. Um, and then I take a book and then I, I study a book. Um, begin with a small one, like the book of Jude, uh, Philemon, very small book, um, um, second, third John, and the one chapter books. And, and you take it apart, you start reading it and make natural divisions. You have your introduction, then you have the body of the letter, and then you have a conclusion. And within that body of the letter, you may have two, three divisions. Uh, there'll be key words, key pivotal terms that are used, and you'll see the division or the transition to another, the next topic. And so you learn how to do an outline. Um, and then you do inductive Bible study. You look into that section or verse and only pull out what is there. You don't interpret it. You just, if it says, and John went down to the temple and Jesus with him, that's all that it says. And you make those observations as obvious as they may be. And you see how they compare with the next because um, sentences are all just change the words to bring about a conclusive thought and idea with precision. And so everything is linked together. Um, and, and you need to see the flow of it. It's just like you receive a letter from a friend. You don't read the um, introduction. Hi, John. How you doing? And then the next day you read the next line on the body and so on. And then the conclusion by at the end. No, you read it all at one time. Now, some of the books are very, very large, so it's it's kind of difficult at first. And so that's why I say begin with a, a small book. And God will speak to your heart, and you come to an attitude of uh, being taught by the Lord, the humility and uh, your need of Christ, and being in an attitude of prayer as you move through the Scriptures, and you let the Spirit of God open your eyes, which is all that God wants to do. It's so exciting to see in young believers as they, over the passage of time, they God develops in them tools for understanding the scripture. And it, it's just wild to see people get excited when God shows them particular things in books. Sure. And it's uh, it's exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. But even if even if they couldn't, Tony, even if I mean, we have great blessing here in the United States because we have so much. Yes. Uh, we have a lot, a lot of good teaching, but we have a lot of bad teaching also. Yes. So we have to discern between the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you go to a restaurant, you know, if, if, if you see it crowded, it's probably got good food. If you don't see it very crowded all the time, it probably doesn't have good food. And so you've got to discern and make sure that when a pastor or a teacher is teaching, that you're following them and you're judging what they're saying to see that what they're reading and expounding is in the context of that letter. Mm-hmm. Context is very important. If you take a scripture out of context, it's nothing but a prefix, mm-hmm. uh, a pretext. And, and, and people will do that. They will take things and, 
and though the the truth is is biblical uh, and it's absolutely genuine, it can be twisted because it's not directed to us or for the time. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure. Um, J. Vernon McGee has a great phrase. He says, all scripture is for us, but not to us. Amen. What he's saying is context. Very important. And so as you start learning and reading, you, you pick up those things and you're careful. Um, you're a master craftsman now by the Spirit of God to think what the Word of God says, to see what is valid, what is not. And um, and even if you didn't have a place to congregate, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to know all that God has for you. You're going to know about angels. You're going to know about God's forgiveness. You're going to know about the hindrance of sin. You're going to know about the enemy and his uh, fallen angels. You're going to know that God's coming back and he's going to judge the world. You're going to know that he's going to set up a thousand-year reign. You're going to pick all that up if you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Amen. Now, and you, you're going to know about the word, day of the Lord. Now, I have a question. Now, okay, let's say um, a scripture verse is not directed at me specifically in right. terms of context. Does that mean I can't get anything out of it for me personally? Or how, how does that work? No, but like like what mm-hmm. he says, it's not uh, all scripture is not to us, but it's for us. Right. So in other words, in principle, we can apply it and we probably will find a confirmation that directed to us in the New Testament. Let's just take uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's always saved. My people, you know, are called, by my, called by my name, so on and so forth. Well, that is not for us. No, it's the nation Israel. The context in is that context, it's right. in Amen. Solomon is praying, dedicate the temple. He's praying unto God. And it gives all these conditions if the temple is a prayer, the house of prayer for God, for the people of God, Israel. And if they stray away and they call on his name, they repent, that he hear them out. If, if they sin against him and he brings drought, then they pray for him, they repent, they hear him out. And he goes, all these different things. That is for the nation of Israel. Um, the 70 week of Daniel's, uh, in Daniel, um, um, Daniel 9, 9 from verse 24 down to 26. Um, if, if my people, thy people, Israel, you cannot apply that prophecy to the Gentiles at all. It's very, very specific. So going back to Chronicles, we can, certainly we know that we pray for our nation, for our leaders, because, um, we want God to bless and he were even commanded to pray for the leaders. And so if a nation is sinful and they repent, we have Nineveh, Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites. And most likely he had family members in the northern kingdom where yeah. they came in. They probably devastated them. And uh, and yet God sent him. And his message was not a loving message. No, He said, 40 days, you guys are gone. God's going to destroy you. And the king, hearing the message, said, he, he said, it was really on a maybe. And he commanded everybody to repent from the king on down. He says, who's to know if God will be merciful Including to the animals. Right. <laughs> a maybe. And God forgave them. A hundred years later, they went back to their sin. God brought judgment on them. Amen. So um, that prophecy was for Nineveh. Now, we know in principle that if there's sin in our life, we need to repent from it or judgment comes. Yes. So we have to be real careful. So we can always apply that principle. 
Okay. You know, Pastor X, you were saying the day of the Lord known by many different names, uh, the day of Yahweh, uh, day of destruction. Um, and you mentioned also that uh, the book of Joel, the prophet, minor prophet of Joel, is uh, regarded as the prophet of the day of the Lord. Because of you said chapter two, what he what he has there, right? Um, is there some specific reason? Is is Joel the first person to use that phrase, the day of the Lord? Most people believe that he is. Okay. Okay, but there could be uh, another minor prophet. I forget right now which one it was. Oh, but, Obadiah. Obadiah. Okay. But Joel usually is considered the the person who's the day of the Lord, and he deals with a very specific. In fact, Peter quotes it. In the day of Pentecost, um, as um, they were speaking in different dialects, mm-hmm. and God was ministering unto them, they were hearing the wonderful works of God. And um, Peter quotes the prophecy of Joel in chapter 2, and he quotes that uh, he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, as young men, visions, old men, dreams, so on and so forth. And he And he continues on quoting that prophecy all the way to... The end of the seven year tribulation. Yes. And he never makes a distinction or identification. So the day of the Lord has a short term fulfillment where Peter picks it up, but also at the end is wrath. And so, but he may never makes a distinction of that. It's completely. Pretty, pretty interesting. You know, talking about the importance of reading the scripture. Yeah. I don't imagine that Peter had a scroll of the prophet Joel in his pocket. No. When he was in the temple there, he was just quoting extemporaneously off the top of his head. Yes. And, and did a, a pretty amazing job. Uh, pretty awesome. There seems to be some reason to think that uh, Peter and the other apostles in the New Testament, they were expecting Jesus to set up the kingdom of God. Or at least they had some suspicion of that when he came into Jerusalem. And they were kind of unsure about how that was going to pan out. But the setting up of the kingdom, that's a part of the day of the Lord as well. Sure, sure. And again, the question that the apostles were always asking Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Right. And in fact, Luke tells us that because they they believe that when Jesus, um, from Caesarea Philippi on, where Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And they say, you know, some say you're Elijah, some John the Baptist, so on and so forth. And he said, well, but who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there he gave Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. Your name is Peter, a small stone. Upon this Petra, the gigantic stone, that I'm the Son of the living God. I will build my church. And from that point on, Jesus is walking towards the cross. And he never mentions his death without his resurrection. From that point on... He's headed for Jerusalem. The, he's six months under the shadow of the cross. And the apostles believe, Luke tells us, 1911, I believe, that they were gonna, he was going to set up the kingdom. And for that reason, James and John, the brothers, went to Jesus and asked him for a special favor to sit on his right hand and his left hand in his glory when he got to Jerusalem. In fact, they brought their mommy along to ask, and Jesus denied all of them. He says, it's not for me to give that, it's for my Father. But he demonstrated the arrogance of the pride of man. The twelve apostles were not servants. They wanted to be served. They wanted to reign. And just stop and think, and I've used this illustration before, 
where um, let's just say Jesus said, okay, John, you sit on my right and James, you sit on my left. And their mom uh, intervened and, 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 and she's just all happy. And they get to Jerusalem and all of a sudden, after the triumphal entry, so on and so forth, um, Jesus is arrested the next day. And uh, so is James and John. And they crucify Jesus. And instead of the two thieves, they crucified James and John next to Jesus. At his right hand and left. At his right and his left. Amen. And that was his glory, the glory of the payment of sin. That's it. Okay? And and I can I can hear James and John looking over and say, Lord, and Jesus saying, What did you guys have in mind? Yeah. yeah. We have a, a very tweak perspective of the glory of God. We look at it for ourselves, our benefit. We are God's servants. We are but mud. We are so fortunate that God died for us and saved us and, and loves us and that we have the great privilege to extend that love and that proclamation to those who are lost. Amen. It's true. You know, it, all, it reminds me of uh, the Apostle Paul writing in Romans to the Romans saying, and I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. Yes. And he comes in chains. Absolutely. You know, God, Absolutely. God knows. It's, it's so so wonderful that when the Lord listens to our prayers that he uh, he uses his own creative license that he doesn't hold us to the letter of the things that we ask for but yeah. that he he creatively edits our prayers for our benefit yeah. because he sees our ignorance yeah. for what it is pastor x would it be right to say that the overarching scriptural references to the day of the lord have to do with god's judgment more than anything else yes okay. yes okay. the day of the lord is it, it, it well it has a two connotation because the Jews saw only two ages, the present age, with all the conflict, the fall of man, and the age to come, okay. the millennial kingdom. And once again, that's why they asked for the right hand, and the left hand. They believed Jesus was going to set up the kingdom, and they were going to rule and reign with him. Okay. Amen. So the flip side of that is the millennial kingdom, but the primary and um, first aspect of the day of the Lord is the day of wrath. Now, there are references to that day that the, as, that the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And how, what, what are we to understand from that perspective? Even some say, you know, that it's uh, like a reference to a woman in childbirth. Right. You know? Right. Well, a thief in the night is a, an imagery that is used very much in the scriptures, speaking about someone um, being uh, unprepared. Uh, for a thief that's going to break in. Mm -hmm. They are surprised. They are taken without notice. And so the Bible speaks about the second coming of Christ. The first was to die for our sins. Mm -hmm. The second is to judge the world. And so the warning is he comes as a thief in the night. No one knows when. Mm -hmm. No one knows the day or the hour. Now, the day and the hour is talking about the day of the Lord, the beginning of it, not okay. the second coming. Okay. Okay, not the second coming. So the second coming of Christ, where he returns to earth, this is not the beginning of the day of the Lord. No, that's seven years after the beginning. Okay. So uh, certain things happen simultaneously. Let's just say right now that the rapture would happen. Okay. The rapture happens right now. Then also Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine will take place. Russia will attack Israel. Both happen at the same time. That begins the day of the Lord. Now, as you know, the Gospels were written to different audiences. Amen. Matthew writes to the Jew. Many people have put the church 
in the tribulation and great tribulation because they misread Matthew. When Matthew 24, I believe 36 says, no man knows the day or the hour. Okay? And then it gives the whole aspect of, of, of two being in the field, one taking one left, so on and so forth. And so many people interpret that aspect of the rapture, no man knows the hour, in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is not talking about any rapture at all. Okay. Matthew is speaking to the Jew. The Jew goes through the tribulation. The tribulation fact is for the Jew to prepare them for their Messiah. So, if we look at the audience now, when we read Matthew 24 and it says, no man knows the day or the hour. Okay. He's not talking about the rapture to the Jew, but he is talking about the beginning of the day of the Lord, which happens simultaneously with the rapture. Okay. Okay. So Matthew 24 is really referencing the day of the, the Lord. The day of the Lord. Okay. Otherwise, it would be a contradiction. And not only that, as you go through Matthew 24, he begins the Olivet Discourse. He's talking about the second coming all the way through to chapter 25. Mm -hmm. Why would you insert the rapture in there? The second coming is seven years after the rapture. Yeah. It's a contradiction. Amen. So one thing that we can see as we're looking at the details of the day of the Lord is that the day of the Lord is very different for believers in Christ and people who are separated from him. Absolutely. Whole different, I mean, they're seeing a whole different event. We are, we are removed from the wrath to come. Amen. First uh, Thessalonians 5.9 and Romans 5.9 says, God does not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Apostle John in Revelation 3, um, uh, 10, I believe he says, um, um, that he will keep us from the hour. The article is there. The hour speaks about the seven-year tribulation. Amen. Okay? And so we are not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we, we don't know the day or the hour. Nope. We're not going to be uh, uh, making uh, any kind of uh, um, assessment as to when these events are going to take place. But you mentioned Ezekiel 38 and 39 having to do with ancient nations that we believe reflect Russia, um, Persia, Iran, yes. Syria, a couple of nations in Northern Africa, right. Ethiopia and Libya and uh, Turkey. Right. And these nations are all involved. And, and in they're that. all, they're all listed there. So the, 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 the one who's heading the attack is Gog and Magog. God puts his hooks in her jaws and draws her. Right. Uh, the Russians are constantly looking for warm water ports in around Israel well, we, in Syria. They've dredged the uh, canal many times, and they will end up coming there with their confederacy of Islamic nations. Okay, but now we know for a fact that the Russians are in Syria right now, right now, in some serious right. force. And in addition to the warm water ports that the Russians are looking for, they're also uh, the Russians are deeply invested in natural gas assets and resources. Yes, and yes. the two two of the largest natural gas fields in the world are controlled by Israel, just off the coast in the Mediterranean. Right, they just found them recently. Yeah, last couple that, of years, yeah. they're still developing. Right, and if we think back to the mid '80s, you know, um, Russia was in there meddling when yes. when um, when Kissinger was sent in by uh, Nixon. Right. In 1972. It, it, it was the salt talks. Right. And Russia said, if you don't put a stop to this, we're going to send our troops. Okay, so we've seen many preparations for this almost happening. Um, prophecy is in terms of Israel, right. the land of Israel, Jerusalem, the city of God. 
not the United States, not anybody else. Prophecy is always directed to Israel, the people of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, a lot of people, Bible commentators, that is, uh, identify, you know, the uh, issues in uh, Matthew 24 as referring to the rapture. And you, you know, made it clear that because Matthew, the whole gospel of Matthew really directed to Jewish people right. by Matthew, who is a, a tax collector. And so we're looking at the day of the Lord. It's interesting. I noticed in your study, what about the day of the Lord uh, from uh, this past November? You mentioned that Jesus' words in John chapter 14 are really foretelling the rapture of the church. Most people don't connect it that yes, way. Yes, yes. Jesus, people say, well, you know, and there's a big attack on the rapture every once in a while. Yes. Right now there's a lot of people attacking the rapture, okay? Um, and uh, Jesus is the first one to teach it. In John 14, 1 through 3, um, he says, stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I go to prepare a place for where I am there, you may be also. And if I go, I will come back to receive you to myself. There's the key, to receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. When he comes back in the second coming, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. Amen. To receive us to himself is the rapture. That is the first mention of the rapture. Paul did not originate the rapture. Jesus did. Amen. Paul clarifies Specifies a little bit more in First Thessalonians chapter four, sixteen through seventeen. Uh, he speaks about we will, he, they will descend from heaven with the shot, the uh, voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain to the second coming shall be cut up to the Lord. Amen. So he he removes us, um, but there's a great distinction between the rapture and the second coming, and there's seven years um, that separates both of those. Very very important. And we're looking forward to that. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Keep It Simple, and we'll be right back with you after these messages. Good Friday is a reminder of the compassion and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was flogged, made to wear a crown of thorns, and eventually crucified alongside two common criminals. Jesus, you endured my Xavier Reese. We want to invite you to come and celebrate with us Good Friday. We're going to be looking at the fourth saying from the cross, forsaken for us, as the Lord became sin for us, and then He did the greatest miracle. He rose from the dead. Otherwise, that payment would have been worthless. Join us at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, as Pastor Xavier delivers a Good Friday message, forsaken for us, April 19th at 12 noon and 6 p.m. We want to rejoice and celebrate. We invite you to come and celebrate with us. That's CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Pastor Xavier Reese and the inevitable growing pains in the midst of transformation. Some of those things that we kick about, we cry about, and we threaten God that we're going to quit and all this. After we get through with them and we go out through the dark tunnel on the other side where the light is, we are more like Jesus and less like us. And that's always better because we see what God can do. Check the online program guide for Pastor Xavier Reese's daily expositional studies here on Simple Truths Radio at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. This is Pastor Xavier. I want to invite you to our sunrise service in Pasadena. 
God's been good to us for 32 years, and we want to invite you for the 33rd one. Looking forward to just seeing many come to Christ and just celebrate the risen Christ. He is risen indeed. Once again, it's Calvary Chapel Pasadena's Easter celebration at Victory Park, Easter Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Or join us for additional services at the church at 9 or 11.30 a.m. Victory Park is located at 2575 Paloma Street in the heart of Pasadena. Calvary Chapel at 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, two blocks west of Sierra Madre Boulevard. Come to worship, hear the good news, and celebrate the risen Lord at Calvary Chapel Sunrise Service, 7 o'clock at Victory Park, or Calvary Chapel Pasadena at 9 and 11.30, Sunday, April 21st. Good Friday services, too, April 19th at noon and 6 p.m. Details at calvarychapelpasadena.com. We invite you to come and celebrate with us. God bless you. We return now to Keep It Simple and this week's discussion, Addressing Issues of Consequence for the Church. Hosted by Pastor Xavier Reese of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. And you're back with us here, Keep It Simple, in the studio today with Pastor Xavier Reese and uh, Jonathan Duran. We're talking about some important a- aspects of the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's coming. You know, Pastor X, I'm thinking as we're talking about this issue and addressing the fact that no one knows the day or the hour. We don't know when these things are going to happen, but the reverse is also true. You know, one of the central doctrines of the Christian church is the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That yes. We don't know that he will not be coming back That's right. in the next 12 months to take his church. And so, you know, as we uh, just listen to those ads about uh, a Good Friday on April 19th and then uh, the Easter services on the 21st, a lot of people come to church on those days that don't really know the Lord. And sure. it's a tremendous opportunity to share yes. the gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible says, in such a time as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Amen. That's the truth. You know, <clears throat> we as believers, you know, the day of the Lord being the rapture is amazing. A time of, you know, great rejoicing and encouragement for us. Obviously, not at all the same thing to non-believers, is it? No, no. It's like... um there's going to be a wreck and someone has a seatbelt and someone has not a seatbelt. That's life and death. That's right. Amen. And especially, you know, most of the Old Testament written to Jewish people, it's a day of great darkness and wrath. Sure. You know, not a day of rejoicing. Yes. Most of the information we have about the day of the Lord, a lot of it comes from the minor prophet Joel, from other places as well, obviously. He, you know, uses this phrase, the day of the Lord, maybe not the first, Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament uh, is not only focused on uh, the future issue of the day of the Lord, but he it overlaps into a lot of other, uh, the judgment on Israel as a nation that takes place, uh, for instance, under the Roman Empire. There are applications and things that take place from the book of Joel as well. Yes. One of the things that begins at the day of the Lord uh, is the end times persecution of the nation of Israel. Does that start right away, like, for instance, the rapture, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and then is there a worldwide persecution against Israel, or are there other issues that take place first? Well, we have to tie the day of the Lord with uh, the 70th week of Daniel, in Daniel 9, 27. Um, The first 69 weeks have been fulfilled uh, from the March 14, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes gave the command to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in troublesome times, to the riding in on the donkey by Jesus in Matthew 21. To that very day, you have there 
483 years to the day fulfilled. Amazing. With Based on a 360-day biblical calendar. So it's not the Gregorian calendar. Therefore, the last week, the seven years, has to be multiple also. One and plus, times seven is seven. Seven years left. If we multiply the first by seven, you have to multiply the last by seven. And so that seven years um, is called... Uh, a time of God's wrath, but the first three and a half years tribulation is great deception. Okay. Uh, the soon as the rapture happens, the um, again uh, Russia is attacked, and God destroys the nations, the Confederacy that attacks Israel. They will use the weapons of that war for seven years for fuel. The Bible tells us. Interesting. Not seven years in one day but seven years. Mm -hmm. So that means that it happens at the beginning and it's sufficient to the end of the seven years. And so when that happens, the Antichrist appears on the scene. Revelation 6 tells us he appears on a white horse with a bow with no arrows. So he conquers through diplomacy. The Antichrist is another topic we've talked about. He's going to be um, empowered by Satan. He's going to have the solution for the world. He's going to be a military genius. He's going to be a religious guru, a banking wizard. Uh, he's going to have all the solutions for all this. But he's a deceiver. What follows him is the, horse of the apocalypse. Um, you have you have a war. You have famine. You have yeah. drought. I mean, pestilence, death. And at the middle of those seven years, again, three and a half years, that temple is being built for three and a half. And that Israel will know that she has been deceived because Israel will make that covenant. Israel is safe today. Israel is probably the safest place in the world to an extent. Interesting. <laughs> because nothing can happen to her until the Antichrist comes. Amen. That cannot be said about the United States. No. no. Or any other place. You know, the book of Revelation tells us that the dragon... Uh, Satan actually makes war against Israel and against the saints. Yes. Now, how are those saints different from those who are taken in the rapture, Pastor Xavier? Well, the the saints that are raptured is the bride of Christ. Okay. He's put, he's choosing a bride for himself right now from Jew and Gentile, and um, and they are removed from the earth. And then, if you can imagine the little light that there is right now within those who truly are Christians, because a lot of people say they're Christians, but they're not. Amen. And there's a lot of people who were Christians and they've compromised and gone back into the world. Yeah. And so they go to churches that tolerate things that are unbiblical, mm -hmm. unscriptural, um, not conducive for the Christian life, but they still call themselves Christians. Amen. I would think most of the churches in our world today that we're getting to that tipping point where right. 51% are getting to the place where there are so many people out there embracing homosexual activity. Absolutely. The cr normal. Christian colleges too. Yeah. <clears throat> they're, they're sympathetic to it. They, they're falling. They're bowing the knee. And so, uh, the saints in the tribulation period are very clearly described as those who come to Christ through the witness of the, the two witnesses, Elijah and probably Enoch. It could be another guy. Um, the 144,000 Jews are going to be preaching. And all those who are born again. But for that instant, when the rapture of the church takes place, every Christian 
will be removed from the earth. The only people left on the earth at that point in time is religious people, good moral, ethical people, the few that are there, and an evil world. Amen. It will be a very dark time. And as the gospel goes forth, many will come to know Jesus Christ. Those are the saints during the tribulation and great tribulation. That's not the church. There's only two women you find in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 18. One is the harlot and the other one is Israel who's pregnant with Christ and gives birth and he's caught up. The church is nowhere found. She's a virgin. Amen. So now I'm, Romans chapter 11 talks about this partial blindness that's happened to the nation Israel, not being able to recognize the reality of, yeah. of who her Messiah is. Do we, do we believe there's a particular time uh, in the beginning of the tribulation where that blindness is removed, where they're able to see the fact that Jesus is the Messiah? Sure. There's the remnant. The remnant is spoken about throughout the Old Testament. And uh, the minor prophets speak about the, old, about the remnant, the major prophets, all through the scriptures. And um, Jesus declared and Paul taught it in, in Romans chapter 11 very, very clearly. Right. In fact, he takes a little detour in Romans there, chapter 9, 10, 11, and deals with the nation of Israel. He could wish himself a curse for Israel, his brother's sake, but he knows he can't. God doesn't swap. Every person has to repent of their own. And, but he says that they're, all Israel will be saved. All the remnant, those who God knows will accept him. Amen. That remnant in the book of Revelation chapter 12, once they see the betrayal of the Antichrist, that remnant will flee to the wilderness. Now, we believe it's probably the city of Petra or Sela, Isaiah 16.1. Um, whether it be there or anywhere else, it doesn't matter. God is going to protect her in the wilderness for the last three and a half years. And when Jesus returns with us, his church, at the end of the seven years, Jesus says, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will say that enthusiastically. That's the second coming. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so Jesus made that very clear as he wept over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, 38. And in Luke also tells us that. And he gave up Israel. Judgment. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. The fullness of the Gentile is the full number of people to be saved for the rapture. Amen. The time of the Gentiles is a period of governmental authority of the Gentile world over the world mm -hmm. exempt from Israel. So they're it, not the same. No. So the time of the Gentiles is begins with Babylon, the head of gold. goes all the way to the Ten-Nation Confederacy. The, iron, the toes of iron and clay. Now, although the day of the Lord is really bad for this present world system, it's especially bad for Israel. Yes. Because yes. they're going to suffer terrible, terrible destruction. Zechariah tells us that two of three Jews will die under the hand of the Antichrist. A horrible thing. We can't even imagine. Yeah. Unbelievable. Pastor X, does God always provide warning concerning the judgment that he's going to bring on the world? Well, if we read the scriptures, it's very clear that God is very patient. <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, he waited 120 years before he brought the judgment. He had Noah build an ark. He had Noah preach. And uh, and I'm sure that he hired a lot of those people that mocked him and didn't believe to build the ark. Amen. And yet, there came a day when the door was shut. 
and eight people got saved in the boat, and the rest perished. And it, part of that is, I mean, it it represents God's justice. Right. He's just because he holds people to account. Absolutely. Sin must be judged. But all God never has brought judgment once without giving sufficient time and warning and for people to repent. Noah's one. You have the, the uh, um, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Gomorrah. Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. God sends the angels. And he literally has to literally drag Lot out of there. Yeah. Um, you look at Nineveh. Yeah. Uh, 40 days. And you look at us. It's been 2,000 years. Just a hair under 2,000 years that we have been warning the world, uh, the believer from the first century on, yeah. that Jesus is coming for his church first. Then he's going to pour out his wrath. And then he's going to return to judge the world. And you think, you know, if God does this for nations and cultures and people groups to warn them of what's coming, doesn't he do the same thing for individuals? I know we talk to people in the church all the time and they have had, I mean, for instance, terrible consequences in their lives as a result of their own failure. Right. As I talk to those people, even though they may not say, I know that God spoke to them. This is not a surprise. Right. They knew that there were consequences to the yeah. things that they do. Yeah. And people need to turn and be yeah. responsive. There's no person who will ever be able to stand before God and say, you know, you you, you never warned me. I never knew about this. Because if one person doesn't know about it, then God can't be just. He says he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son for to die for the world. That whoever believes in them. Therefore, if the invitation is universally to all mankind in every generation, then we have to believe that God in a way that we may not understand or even believe is possible. But I can't tell you when, where, or how. But God will allow a person to know of the yeah. need of salvation before they die. Otherwise, God cannot be just. Amen. Real simple. It's interesting. In the mo modern media, in movies and books, and even on television, there's so many end-of-world uh, storylines and divine judgment storylines that it really makes you think that people, somewhere out there, people do really understand They're what's not coming. ignorant. It's not, yeah. It's they're, pretty wild. They should be sued. They're taking that from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they make fun of it, like a movie may come out that kind of pokes fun at, you know, the apocalypse or something. And there's yeah. some of those, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, there are. But like you said, probably deep down inside they know that. It, I yeah. think it's planted inside the psyche of the human mm -hmm. consciousness. Sure. Sure. Yeah. People recognize there's a responsibility. This yeah. is going to happen. Yeah. And also man knows the evilness of man. Though he tries to paint him as good, he's not. Man is not good. He's evil. Amen. You know, the prophet Joel and other places in the Old Testament really makes the extreme severity of the day of the Lord plain. God, God makes it very plain how, uh, how terrible. And even in uh, Matthew 24, Jesus identifies... Uh, the Great Tribulation as a time that has never happened. Right. Will never be Or ever will be. Amen. And, we, and we've had some terrible times. We've had, um, you, know, you go back to the last century, you have um, World War I, um, which is called, not then, but after the fact, the Great War. Yeah. Uh, to end all wars, by the way. That's what they said. Uh, but, but it didn't happen. Then came World War II. And then you had Korea. Uh, then you had Vietnam. And, and and you've got a lot of little scrimmages in between all these. Yeah. And, and and then Kuwait and Afghanistan and so on and so forth. On and on and on. And as long as mankind is on the earth, 
there will be wars because someone always wants a bigger piece of the pie. That's one aspect of war. The other side is the guy has to protect his pie. So you've got somebody that wants something you have and then you've got an obligation to protect what you have. That's where wars come from. Amen. Completely. And so they are just at times when someone's trying to break in your house and they're trying to do harm to you or your family, you have the obligation, responsibility, and the right to defend yourself and your family. Amen. Simple. Yeah. End of conversation. And uh, certainly as believers, you know, God gives wisdom and understanding concerning that. Yes. He's going to lead and direct us. You know, at the close of the Great Tribulation, we have what we believe the, the Battle of Armageddon. Yes. Where all the nations of the world will be gathered against Israel and the Lord will return. And once again, Hollywood knows that. They make all kinds of movies about that. Amen. They talk. The whole world uses the, the term Armageddon. Is this yeah. Armageddon? Yeah. You know, they're not ignorant. Yeah. Although they... they don't really understand how it works. No. They really no. think that Armageddon is the end of the world. Right. But uh, that's certainly not. The, it's just the beginning of the better part that's of the world. That's right. It doesn't have to do with the meteor and Ben Affleck? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I don't think anything to do <laughs> with, with those guys. <laughs> you know, when, when the Lord returns, the judgment continues after his return. Yes. He, he judges, I guess, what? The nations of the world? Yeah. Matthew 25 says that he gathers the nations to judge them based on their conduct towards the Jew during those seven years. Amen. So he will judge nations. Um, you gave me a drink of water. You visited me in prison. They said, why don't we do this? When you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto me. Brethren, the Jew. Jesus speaking in Matthew 25. Very, very clear. And so you have the judgment of the nations. You also have the judgment of the 12 tribes, that the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Then you have the setting up of the kingdom. And then you have the white throne judgment at the end of the thousand years for everybody who has ever rejected the gospel and Jesus Christ. And they will have to give an account for their life. The books will be open. And they will have to give an account for their lives before God. And none will survive. There will be distinct and different levels of judgment, punishment. Because God is just and fair so if he rewards distinctly to the attitude of the heart, he will equally punish and give castigation according to the attitude and the severity of the action taken. Amen. People who understand truth have a responsibility for that truth. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier, Pastor X, that you believe that the Antichrist is going to be in some way involved in uh, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And yes. it's something that we don't really expect to see before the rapture take place. No, no. Because um, if, if the Antichrist would appear right now, then we're the ones that would expose him. Yes. Yeah. We're, 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 we do a twofold job. First of all, we are restraining evil from the world to an extent, not completely. But our presence says we are against fornication, adultery, abortion, theft, murder, everything that's immoral, unethical. doesn't mean that we are perfect and sinless, but we understand that that is in us and that's why we come to Christ so we don't live like that any longer. But there is a judgment you have to make. 
Uh, either you know God and he gives you the ability to live that life or you don't know God and you fall prey to that life completely. Amen. Amen. And the Lord give us wisdom to be led by his spirit and take up that calling to be that uh, influence for good. Um, following, you know, the, the beginning of the, the great tribulation, you mentioned also uh, the two witnesses and then you have the 144,000 right. uh, Jewish evangelists. Right. And through the through the years... So many people have tried to uh, make them anything other than Jewish. Right, right, right. Well, the Jehovah Witnesses say they're the 144,000, right, but right. now they've got another problem because there's more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. Right. W- yeah. It would bother me if, uh, if maybe I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, but they've told me I was. And the context, again, is 12,000 from each tribe. So a good question to a Jehovah Witness is, uh, what tribe are you from? The context is Jewish. The nation of Israel, not the church, not the Gentile. But still, with all this turmoil in the world during the tribulation and in the great tribulation, the gospel is going to be proclaimed Absolutely. to every people of the yeah. world. The, the, the angel will preach the everlasting gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, much of the mission work that went out after World War II is very commendable with the intent and idea and understanding that Jesus could not come back until we preach the gospel to every nation. Now, that's completely wrong. Yeah. But it, it had a good motive. Amen. The gospel and, will be preached. And it worked out. But it's going to be the everlasting gospel the angel preaches. Yes. The church has failed. More people know about Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola than Jesus Christ today. Amen. Amen. For the first time in the United States, we have people that do not believe or even have heard of who Jesus is. It's startling. It's yes. Easier. It's wild to go out and talk to somebody Th- on the street. Through all the humanistic indoctrination, it's just horrendous. Yeah. So now, question, you know, following the return of the Lord, and you mentioned the uh, 12 apostles setting up thrones, judging the tribes, and then uh, the beginning of the kingdom, which, of course, is focused towards Fulfilling the promises of Israel? Sure. They will occupy all the land that was promised to them. It never okay. was, even in Solomon's time. Never occupied. It goes all the way up up in Lebanon, on down to Egypt. Um, and they will fulfill all the land. They will. The, uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem will be the center of the world uh, financially, um, uh, religiously. It, it, it's the city of God. Amen. Completely. That's amazing. And the Gentiles will serve the Jew, like it or not. And I'll, I think I'll like it personally. But I mean, and <laughs> Me the whole too. world will come to Israel for that purpose. Right. And all those people who don't get, who survive the seven-year tribulation right. and don't take the mark, they enter the tribute. They enter the millennial kingdom. They're going to repopulate the world. They repopulate the world. Okay. Yes. Interesting. And will, you know, it's interesting. People miss this point, but it's something that you mention regularly. People are going to continue to sin against God. Oh, yeah. During the millennial reign. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be the perfect world. Yeah. The, the earth is renewed, but sin nature is still there because there's death. Wherever there's death, there's sin. And then following, you know, that period of time, the setup of the kingdom, what are we as believers going to be doing? We're ruling and reigning with Christ, whatever he has for us. Amen. Amen. Wow. And then, of course, that's going to stretch into... Uh, through the millennial reign, a thousand years, and then a great many, and then, of course, following that, new heavens and a new earth. Right. The white throne judgment, and then the new heaven and the new earth. Pastor X, talking to people over the radio, what can we tell people to do today to prepare themselves for the Lord's plan? If you've never repented of your sins, know that Jesus is God who became man, 
died for your sins and rose from the dead. And that if you call on his name and believe that he died in your place, that he will forgive you of your sin. He will fill you with his spirit, make you his child, and give you eternal life by the grace of God through faith. Not because we deserve it, but because we believe that he did what he said he did for us. So just keep it simple. Ask him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Give me a new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you in Jesus' name. If you have opportunity this week, go out and see the movie Unplanned. Yes. And the Lord will bless you for it. You've been listening to Keep It Simple with your host, Pastor Xavier Reese on Simple Truths Radio. We hope today's broadcast has informed, encouraged, and challenged you in your own personal walk with Christ. For more information regarding Simple Truths Radio Ministries or Calvary Chapel Pasadena, please visit calvarychapelpasadena.com. We hope you'll be back for our next discussion, and may God richly bless your day.